Okay, good evening, everybody. We get to start a new study, a new old study, I should say. Um, when we were getting to the end of uh, our previous study, the one on the one on Peter, I was kind of starting to think about what um, what to do next, the next study. And we've actually, it's interesting, we've actually done a lot of these studies over the years. There's a number of them in the teacher's manuals, extra books and stuff back there on the, uh, on the church library on the bookshelf in there. Um, so just kind of looking at that and a couple di- looking at a couple different ones and uh, was trying to pray about which one we should do. And this is one we've done, I think you actually did this one, Pastor, because I think your notes are in here. Um, this is probably one of the first ones I think we did. Um, it's been a while. So this hat, we did do this a couple years ago, but it might have been three, four, five years ago since it's been done. So definitely good to do it again, but it's on living beyond your capacity and understanding the spirit-filled life. So it's really, this study, we'll get into it a little bit, is about the Holy Spirit and his ministry and his work in our lives. And kind of, again, the whole point, living beyond your capacity. So I think it's really, I think it'll be really good, very timely, I think, just in our lives. Um, so some of the lessons, well, lesson one we'll be looking at tonight is um, on his saving ministry to start it off here. Lesson two is a sanctifying ministry. Lesson three is his strengthening ministry. Lesson four and five is a part one and a part two on his serving ministry. Um, lesson six is his separating ministry. And that's kind of the first section talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And the second section is on the Spirit-filled life. Um, the struggle of the Spirit's lesson seven. Lesson eight's the sword of the Spirit. Lesson nine and ten, again, are kind of a part one and a part two about the stream of the Spirit. Lesson eleven, the supply of the Spirit. Lesson twelve, the sins against the Spirit. And then lesson thirteen, and the Spirit-filled life. So let me go ahead and get these um, going. Do I need? Nope. I'm take those, John. Okay. You see, again, we'll be looking at his saving ministry. Is the very first um, lesson this evening. And up there's the pencils. There. Anybody need anything to write with? Or pens? There's those down here too. Is this the extra one? So our text verses are uh, actually in John chapter 3 here. Um, So I'll read those. I'll read those really quickly. In John chapter 3, verses um, 5 to 7. Again, familiar verses here. John 3, verses 5 to 7. Again, Who's Jesus talking to in this situation? Talking to Nicodemus. So John chapter 3, verse 5 says, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, Ye must be born 
again. Let's go ahead and pray, and we'll jump in here. Lord, to thank you for um, opportunity to be able to be in your house tonight, to be able to be um, just discussing and learning from learning from your word, um, of course, in this new study here about the Holy Spirit, and then the lesson today about his saving ministry in our lives and the life of, every, of anyone who will come to you. And just please be with us. Please help those um, listening to be able to be a, stay attentive and stay focused on your word and to see something that maybe they've not seen before or a different perspective on something. Um, pray for me. Just please um, help me, guide me in this. Again, take me out of the way that um, your spirit would be speaking to us tonight in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the Holy Spirit first works in a person's life to persuade that person to salvation, basically. And the Holy Spirit convicts and encourages the sinner to come to Christ and to bring, spirit, bring spiritual life to those that accept it. The Holy Spirit works to persuade each of us, again, to become a child of God. And then as a Christian, we should allow the Holy Spirit to use us to share the gospel and lead others to, the, to Christ there. So some goals um, in the lesson tonight is, number one, just to kind of look at, understand the role of the Holy Spirit in salvation. Number two, to be aware of the spiritual regeneration and indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Number three, to recognize the evidence and certainty of salvation that's provided by the Spirit. Then number four, to desire to be used by the Spirit to lead others to Christ. So there's actually seven points in this first lesson. So we may or may not get through it all today. Looking again um, in your notes, Pastor, looks like we split this one up when you did it. So I don't know. we'll see if we make it through or not. Um, let's jump right in here. Have you ever taken a long walk with a very good friend? Have you cherished the presence of someone you love, perhaps while sitting beside a crackling fire, sipping a cup of hot tea or coffee? If so, you understand the closeness, the encouragement, and the depth of a relationship that can unfold at such times. Moments such as these strengthen you. They breathe life into your soul. They lift you emotionally and spiritually to a place where you couldn't take yourself. This lesson series is designed to create such moments between you and a very dear friend, the Holy Spirit. Whether you meet him for the first time in this lesson or whether you've walked with him for many years, I pray that you'll draw closer to him because of our time together in this study here. He loves you. He longs to become your dearest companion and guide, and his powerful presence will change everything in your life for the better. Every human being is born with the inherent longing for companionship, as is very evidenced by uh, my son. He never wants to go. Um, he never wants to go to the bathroom by himself. <laughs> and every heart craves a companionship that no human being can provide. He doesn't want to be lonely. While we cherish the closeness of family and friends, these earthly relationships ultimately fall short. For no single person can fill the heart with joy, stability, strength, and purpose. No flesh and blood can provide eternal resources to the soul and the spirit. The deepest of desires in each of us calls for a transcendent 
companion, one who defies the boundaries of time, space, and finiteness. And in answer to that desire, the Holy Spirit of God longs to become our dearest companion and guide. The Holy Spirit of God is real. He's the third person of the Godhead. He's God's gracious gift to us every moment of every day. He already knows us intimately and loves us unconditionally. He's the only one who can care for us eternally, sustain us limitlessly, strengthen us abundantly, and lead us perfectly through this life. He is God's eternal presence in and eternal resources for our lives. And he's waiting to lead us into a life of abundance, abundant joy, peace, purpose, strength, grace, etc. And the purpose of this lesson, of, of the lessons in this series, is to bring us to a place in our lives where we can experience the Holy Spirit personally, know that his power is intervening in our lives each day. Though for many, the Holy Spirit is an oft neglected friend. He desires to be our close companion. As we study each lesson, may it be our goal to develop just such a relationship with him that we might follow his leading and trust his enabling to live a spirit-filled life that glorifies our Savior. Knowing the Holy Spirit and experiencing his ministry in our lives must begin somewhere. And so as we study the work of the Holy Spirit, our first stop on the journey is salvation. First, if you've never come to a moment of salvation where you turn from your sin to trust Christ, then that decision is of paramount importance. To have the Holy Spirit in your life, you must first be born again by the Holy Spirit, our text verses that we looked at. To be born again is to be made, to be made spiritually alive by God's Spirit, to be saved. You know, are you saved? If not, I pray that you'll listen to God's Holy Spirit as we continue to study it. More importantly, that you would accept his invitation to be born again. Second, if you are already saved, the purpose of this lesson is to remind you that the first passion and ministry of the Holy Spirit in your life is to fully express your salvation that you might help others understand the gospel and come to Christ. It's awesome to think that God would take a personal interest in every single living soul, inviting each one into an eternal, intimate relationship with Him. He's created each of us with a free will to choose or reject Him, but that does not stop Him from extending the invitation and drawing us to Christ. So let's discover the ministry of the Holy Spirit in saving the soul. So point number one is the Holy Spirit starts with an I real quick it is yes it is invites yes Holy Spirit invites and they don't all start with the same letter this time the Holy Spirit invites they got Revelation twenty two seventeen. 17 you want to go ahead and start pastor and the spirit and bride say come and let him that heareth say come and let him that is a thirst come and whosoever will let him take the water of life freely we have point, uh, sub-point A, an invitation without, starts with a W, works. An invitation without works. Religions all over the world hold people hostage to performance-based 
acceptance. Millions of people really believe that the only way to be accepted by God is to atone for their own sins by doing good works or religious deeds. But that's not the work of the Spirit of God. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Subpoint B, it's an invitation with, also starts with an S, or starts with an S. Think of the something that is in Christ. Paul is talking to the Corinthians, telling them not to be drawn away from the simplicity that is in Christ. Now, God's Spirit says, come. Whosoever will, take of the water of life freely. Now, in Romans 6.23, the gift of God is eternal life. Now, throughout the Bible, God's Spirit invites thirsty souls to place their faith in Christ. Now, he doesn't require baptism. Um, church membership, financial donations, list of good deeds. He doesn't demand adherence to a religious system, nor does he force us to atone for our own sins or earn salvation. He invites one and all, young and old, rich and poor, good and bad. Everyone needs a Savior, and anyone who will may come. He says, frankly, the complexity of man-made religions overshadows the simplicity of God's invitation. Point two, the Holy Spirit starts to see, convicts. Oh, I should get up here. The Holy Spirit convicts. And John 16, verse 8. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of these next ones should be pretty easy. Conviction of sin, yes. First, the Holy Spirit reminds us that we are sinful beings by nature. Romans 3, 23. Illustration. A little boy was asked to define conviction. He replied, I'm not sure, but I think it's that bad feeling you get when you kick girls. Have you ever wondered what makes mankind aware of right and wrong? Have you ever considered that people all over the world inherently worship something or someone? The basic knowledge of God and the knowledge of right and wrong are woven into the fiber of our consciences. Creator God has placed these things within us that we might respond to him. The work of the law written in our hearts, uh, Romans chapter 2. And then, by His Spirit, He works through that to convict or convince us of our need of Him. He convicts us of the sin, of our sin, which condemns us. Now, some say, I'm not that bad, but those who haven't believed are condemned already for their sin. John three eighteen. He that believeth on Him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the same in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And Hebrews 2, 3. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by 
means it's a subpoint B, conviction of righteousness. Yes, conviction of righteousness. The Holy Spirit teaches us that we fall short of God's perfect righteous standard. Isaiah 64, 6. The righteousness of Christ was prophesied in the Old Testament. These next verses are really interesting. The Jeremiah 23, 5 and 6. If you um, think about it when you're reading it, um, what it's talking about in verse 5, talking about a king that's going to come and then his name's going to be called the Lord, our righteousness. If you want to go ahead and read those. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, King shall reign and prosper, and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. In his days Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely. And this is his name, whereby he shall be called the Lord our righteousness. Referring back, that's the king that's talked about in the previous verse there. That king is the Lord our righteousness. Now, during Christ's earthly ministry, he was the visual example and standard of righteousness for his followers in the world. He came, God in the flesh, and he was therefore righteous in his character and actions in every way. The Holy Spirit convicts us of the proven righteousness of Christ, the Son of God, whose righteousness provides our salvation. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. The subpoint C then is conviction of judgment. Now, lastly, he convicts us of the judgment that's reserved for unbelievers. And he calls us to avoid God's judgment by trusting Christ and his payment and for sins. Hebrews 9 27. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. Now in Acts 9.5, the Holy Spirit was performing this convicting work in the heart of an angry, Christian-hating man named Saul. And he ultimately, he ultimately said to Saul, it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. When you kick girls, right? <laughs> so Saul was a man trying to fight off the conviction of the Holy Spirit in his heart. Are you doing that right now? Do you sense the Spirit of God inviting you to a relationship with Him? Do you sense a growing awareness of your sin, your need for Christ's righteousness, and a desire to avoid God's judgment? That's God's Spirit bringing conviction into your heart. It's His very touch, His voice that's leading you then to a change of mind about yourself as a sinner, and then about Christ as a Savior. Whatever you do, don't kick against the pricks. Answer his invitation with a resounding yes. So this brings us to point number three. The Holy Spirit starts with an R. Regenerates. Yep, that first verse, give you the hint for that. The Holy Spirit regenerates. The Spirit of God not only, not only invites you to be saved and convicts you of your need of a Savior, but He also regenerates you when you accept Christ and He brings you to life spiritually. 
Again, these verses aren't here, but it talks about, I think it's in Ephesians 2. Now, ye that were dead in trespasses and sins, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Then Titus 3, 5. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. So sub-point A, a new birth brings new, there's an L, life, yes. A new birth brings new life. The word regenerate means to regene. It means that God gives you a complete and total spiritual renovation. Another word the Bible uses for this, I just mentioned, is quicken. And Ephesians there means to, to make alive. Romans 8, 11. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead What an amazing thought that God offers new life to anyone who will accept it, accept him by faith. And his Holy Spirit offers to bring you to life, to bring to life in you what died so long ago, now when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. And that regeneration is the beginning point of a relationship with God, being spiritually reborn into his family and becoming his child. Subpoint B is a new heart brings new, starts with a P, a passion, similar purpose, yes. A new birth brings new purpose. Written to a group of people who had recently made the decision to trust Christ, 1 Corinthians 6, 10 to 11 describes it this way. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are, and ye are sanctified, and, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. It's but ye are sanctified. I missed that word there. God desires to give every person a new birth, a new life, a new heart, a new purpose. 2 Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now, the new birth happens when his Holy Spirit is allowed to perform the marvelous miracle of regeneration. Now, what happens at that moment of decision? You could make that right now. For the Bible says, Whoever shall call upon, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, Romans 10, 13. The story is told of a young lady who accepted Christ and applied for membership in a local Bible-believing church. Were you a sinner before you received the Lord Jesus into your life, inquired an old deacon. Yes, sir, she replied. Well, are you still a sinner? To tell you the truth, I feel I'm a greater sinner than ever. Then what real change have you experienced? I don't quite know how to explain it, she said except that I used to be a sinner running after sin, but now that I'm saved, I'm a sinner running from sin. Brings us to point four. The Holy Spirit starts with an I. Indwells, yes. The Holy Spirit indwells. The miracle continues. Just when you think it couldn't possibly be any better, God places His Spirit inside of you. 2 Corinthians 1, 22. 
who hath also sealed us and given us the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. The Word of God promises the Holy Spirit will dwell in our hearts. John 14, 17. Subpoint so A is he indwells at, that starts with an S, salvation, yes. He indwells at salvation. The verses above and many more teach us an incredible reality. God is in us. This is where having God's power for living really begins. At the moment you invite Christ into your heart, the very presence of God's Spirit takes up permanent residence in your life. From that moment on, you are the temple or dwelling place of His Spirit. 1 Corinthians 3, 16. And then chapter 6, verse 19. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? Brings us to subpoint B, is he indwells, starts with an F, Fully, faithfully, think time, forever, yep, he indwells forever. You don't receive Christ at one point and then receive the Holy Spirit at a later event in your life. The Holy Spirit is with you, beginning salvation. Though we'll, we'll look in future lessons exactly what it means to be in the Spirit, no, it's important to realize that the Holy Spirit indwells forever. And according to the Bible, any man who does not have the Spirit of Christ within is not a child of God. Romans 8, verse 9. If you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is the he is none of his. None of his. Since we know that salvation is a gift that brings everlasting or eternal life, think John 3.16, we can know that those who do not have the Spirit of God within have never received that everlasting gift of salvation. Point five. The Holy Spirit starts with an S. Seals. Holy Spirit seals. Some questions. How long am I saved? Can I lose my salvation? Can I ever be unsaved after I'm saved? Now, those are great questions, and many people struggle with the answers. What you must remember is that your relationship with God is not performance-based. It's faith-based. It's an invitation to come, not earn. And with that in mind, God's Spirit comes to the rescue once again with the word seal. At salvation, you are sealed. Ephesians 1, verse 13. In whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. So what exactly does it mean to be sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise? Takes us to subpoint A, which is proof of. It starts with an O. Ownership. Yep. Proof of ownership. In ancient times, a seal was the stamp 
made by a signet or private mark you know, from a ruling king to indicate security, preservation, ownership. I think in Jesus' tomb it was sealed with the authority of Rome. For instance, if a letter was sealed with the king's seal, it was proven to belong to him. The seal was an official stamp of ownership and authority. In the same way, the Holy Spirit of God becomes your seal when he indwells you at salvation. He's the stamp of God's ownership in your life. He's the evidence that you belong to Christ. And he is permanent proof that you're one of God's children. When God seals you, that seal can never be undone by any power in heaven or on earth. Romans 8, 31 to 39. <clears throat> what shall we say? Uh, what shall we say? What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with us? How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Is it God that justifieth? Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I So point B, again, speaking of um, the Holy Spirit's seal, it's proof of ownership, but it's also proof of, there's the P. Close. It's around that. To get a possession, what do you do? Purchase. Purchase, yep. Proof of purchase. Bring your proof of purchase. Another word that God uses to explain his ownership is the word earnest. 2 Corinthians 1.22. The word earnest means down payment. For example, someone buying a home might be asked to make a down payment of earnest money. It's still a term that we use today. Earnest money. And that payment shows the person's serious intent to purchase. God's Holy Spirit to you is proof that he's purchased you by the blood of Christ and that you'll one day spend eternity with him. That term comes up again in Ephesians 1. You see that term earnest again there. Been speaking of the Holy Spirit as the earnest of our inheritance, I believe, is the words that you use there. Brings us to point six. The Holy Spirit starts with an R. Well, it doesn't start with an R. The word starts with an R. Um, 
reforms, renews. The Holy Spirit renews. What an awesome friend the Holy Spirit is already. But salvation really is just the beginning. It's the start of a life-changing relationship that yields clear results. Subpoint A, we have a, starts with an I, transformation. Not immediate. Someone has said, I think someone said it already. Inward, yep, it's inward. Inward transformation. The Holy Spirit in you puts the power and wisdom of God at work in your heart on a daily basis. He brings all the strength and enabling of God to renew you from within, to transform you from who you are into who you can be with his help. The Bible speaks of this inward work of the Holy Spirit here in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16. Who had this one last? I think it's you, Abby. Or is he, maybe it's Christian. I don't remember exactly. I don't remember exactly who, but. Uh, for which cause we faint not, but through our, uh, through our outward man perish, yet inward man is renewed day by day. So then subpoint B, starts with an O, outward. Outward manifestation. This renewal by the Holy Spirit of God isn't about turning over a new leaf, or getting a fresh start. It's not about surface or temporary things. It's about starting a complete spiritual renovation on the inside that will make you the person only God can help you to be. And that inward work will be manifested outwardly. Galatians 5, to 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, the Holy Spirit's renewing work will, will be explored further in later lessons, but for now, suffice it to say that if you're tired of New Year's resolutions you can't ever keep, bad habits you're unable to let go, and personal failures you can't seem to overcome, the Holy Spirit of God makes real and lasting change, both possible and probable. It's an illustration of that. In the early 1700s, John Newton was a cold-hearted, slave-trading man who lived a life of hardness and sin. Those who knew him simultaneously feared him and hated him. He was a foul-mouthed, gambling drunk who cared little for life and who'd given up on God in his childhood. And one stormy night at sea, God's Holy Spirit began working in John Newton's heart. And after near shipwreck and drowning, he began to respond to God's conviction. And a short time after, he would accept Christ into his life. And beginning at that moment, the, the Holy Spirit of God completely transformed John Newton from a cold and heartless brute into a tender-hearted, gracious man. The change was astounding and inarguable. Eventually, God led Newton to become a faithful pastor and preacher in Olney, England. 
John Newton also wrote many well-known hymns with his friend, William Cowper. He wrote the well-known hymn, Amazing Grace. And I think William Cowper is when we wrote, there's a fountain, I believe, if I remember correctly. Newton's grave marker in Olney, England says, John Newton, clerk or pastor, once an infidel and a libertine. This is an interesting statement. A servant of slaves in Africa was, by the rich mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, pres preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith he had long labored to destroy. The same Holy Spirit who changed John Newton wants to change us. And thinking about this as another kind of like stark example of that, um, I'm pretty sure I got the name right. Anybody ever heard of Nathan Bedford Forrest? He was actually a Confederate Civil War general. He was pretty much the one who founded the KKK. And, of course, did you know what would go on with that? And eventually, he actually got saved. And there's a book written, I've, I've never read it, but I've seen the title. It's called, uh, was it uh, something along the lines of How and When the Devil Got Saved. Um, but then he eventually grew to love love black people. And again, talking about just as an example here of just the change that happens in someone's life. And our last point, point number seven, the Holy Spirit gives, starts with an A, assurance. The Holy Spirit gives assurance. The final aspect of the Holy Spirit's saving ministry involves assurance for the believer. Romans 8, 15 to 16. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And then 1 Corinthians 2, verse 12. Is that one not in there? Uh, yes. First Corinthians 2.12 says, Now we have received, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that I, we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. I totally skipped ahead there a little bit. Um, after the Romans 8 verses as, as a subpoint A, which is certainty of, starts with an S. Certainty of salvation, yep. Now the Holy Spirit of God gives us the heart knowledge and affirmation salvation. He provides us with security, a security that's eternal and unchanging. In 1 John 5, 13. These things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. And then now it was that 1 Corinthians 2, 12, which is, uh, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. And then subpoint B, we have a certainty of, starts with an A. Adoption. Not assurance. Acceptance, yep. Certainty. Oop, forgot to get a couple there. Certainty of acceptance.
So many people live with the knowledge of God as a distant deity, a sovereign over the universe, the all-powerful, all-knowing, eternal judge. No, but few know him personally as a loving heavenly father and an intimate, faithful friend. This is how he longs for you to know him, and it's all possible by his spirit. There's nothing like knowing the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and having his Holy Spirit indwell your heart at salvation. The fact that God would come to live within us is, should be an overwhelming and a humbling thought. The Apostle Paul wrote of this in 2 Corinthians 4, 7 when he said, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. God's Holy Spirit in your life brings infinite potential into your everyday limitations. He brings God's unlimited resources into your limited humanity. An illustration here. Ann Landers tells of receiving this humorous story regarding what it means to be adopted. It happened again today. My two sons and I were at a shopping mall, and a total stranger felt the need to comment on the fact that my two boys didn't look anything alike. Apparently, my six-year-old decided it was time he explained the difference. I'm adopted, he said. That's when you have the same family, but not the same face. Much like this little boy, if you've been saved, you are instantly adopted into God's family. And the Holy Spirit desires for you to live with absolute certainty of your security in God's love. He bears witness in your spirit that you belong to God and that God accepts you, even likes you. <laughs> you are his child and he's your heavenly father. So in conclusion... God's Spirit invites you to Him, convicts you of your need, regenerates you through salvation, indwells your heart forever, seals you into God's family, renews your life day by day, and constantly assures you of God's love and acceptance. No earthly relationship can fulfill these needs in your heart. In essence, you were created to live every day with the abiding presence of God's Holy Spirit inside of you. But because of sin, that relationship was cut off, and mankind was separated from fellowship and closeness with God. Thanks to the cross of Christ, the perfect Son of God, our sin was paid in full by His blood, and we've been invited back into a close relationship with God for now and for eternity. By faith and trust, we can accept Christ and God's Holy Spirit can enter our lives. We can once again know God on a personal and intimate level. The wonderful Holy Spirit of God desires to come into your life at salvation and unfold a daily work of power, grace, and transformation. In every way, He desires to enable you to live a supernatural life that speaks of His power. The saving ministry of the Holy Spirit is hard to adequately describe, but even harder to deny, especially when it becomes evident in a person's life. Sin destroys, but God's Holy Spirit is eager to save. 
and renew. And salvation is just the beginning of the wonders of the Holy Spirit. Take a moment to thank God for His Spirit's saving work, and we'll do that in just a minute. That actually concludes the lesson here, and there's um, this study actually has questions after the fact, which we probably won't look at those for, um, well, we can take a few minutes here just to do this real quick. Question number one is, what's the first work of the Holy Spirit in a person's life? Again, persuade, accept Christ, the conviction there. The Holy Spirit convicts of, what, three things? Sin, righteousness, and judgment. How does God let us know that we are the children of God? Romans 8, 16, I think. Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we may know that we're the children of God. When does a person receive the indwelling, the Holy Spirit? Salvation. Can you think, uh, what about in the book of Acts? Well, there's obviously the book of Acts is the point is a book of transition and some things. There's some things that happen there that don't, you don't even see at the end of the book either on some things, but indwelling at salvation. Fifth question was, in what ways do you tend to depend upon your own strength when you should instead rely on the power of the Holy Spirit? Again, that's answers will vary on that one. The next question was, what are several areas of your life where you need to yield to the transforming power of the Holy Spirit in order to be more like Christ? Again, answers vary there. Then as a Christian, question seven, what can you do to share the Holy Spirit with others? Share the gospel. And question eight was, ask the Holy Spirit to bring to mind the name of at least one person with whom you can share the message of salvation this week. And again, our verses, John 3, 5 to 7. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. Let's pray. Lord, as we go to conclude the service this evening, do thank you for um, what we're able to look at tonight just about your Holy Spirit and how, um, how the Holy Spirit just can works in salvation of bringing, um, bringing folks to, to you and just the different ways in which that happens and then how that happens, results of that. And thank you for your work. And again, for those that are saved, we're commanded to not quench and not grieve your spirit. Um, and again, probably get into those later on in our study, but but for now as we're thinking just we just thank you for for your spirit. Thank you that he lives in us for those that know you, that he lives in us and desires to lead us and um, as it says um, in John that your spirit will guide us into all truth. Just help us again not to despise that and to listen to him. To do what's right. 
and ask that Jesus be with us and give us safety and getting back to our homes and bring us back together again on Wednesday. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.